Welcome back or to the Sleep Research Society podcast. My name is Jesse Cook and I serve as host of the Sleep Research Society podcast, which is purposed to disseminate and discuss the latest findings in sleep and circadian science. Before diving into today's episode, it is critical for me to emphasize that the views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individual being interviewed and do not reflect the views of the Sleep Research Society or its affiliates. Also, this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. If you believe you have a medical problem, please speak with your doctor. And now for an orientation to the content across today's episode. First and foremost, listeners, we have made it to 2023. I'll say it again. We have made it to 2023. I must provide my warmest Happy New Year to each and every one of you. I really hope that you had an enriching and refreshing holiday season, providing the necessary break from the research grind so that we are recharged for an awesome year of sleep and circadian scientific discovery across 2023. To kick off the new year, we are going in a novel direction for this episode. Instead of focusing on a recently published manuscript, this episode is going to kick off a category of episodes that will provide a behind-the-scenes look, if you will, into the Sleep Research Society. In other words, we'll be pulling back the covers of the Sleep Research Society with these types of episodes purpose to introduce leadership in the SRS as well as draw attention to upcoming SRS events and opportunities. This inaugural episode of Pulling Back the Covers will provide an overview of the Sleep Research Society's trainee member at large position. The SRS trainee member at large is described as an effective non-voting member of the board of directors who assists with the development and implementation of a strategic plan for the society, helps establish and monitor metrics for achievement of society goals and performance, and maintains regular communication with the membership among other actions. Darlin Rojo-Wisar, the current training member at large, and Miranda Chappelle-Farley, the training member at large elect, will join me as guests for this episode's interview to discuss all things training member at large. After the interview unpacking all things training member at large, I will also be describing a few SRS events to put on your radar, including the upcoming Advances in Sleep and Circadian Science, ASCS, conference in February, the Mentor-Mentee Program, and the Virtual Seminar Series. This segment will be followed by a segment recognizing the top five most downloaded articles across 2022 from both Sleep and Sleep Advances, including a summary of the conclusions acquired from the abstract of each manuscript. We intend to return to our standard content focus and episode structure for the February episode but I hope that you enjoy this inaugural installment of Pulling Back the Covers. And with that, let's go. Before our interview with today's guest unpacking all things training member at large, here is a brief background on today's guests, Dr. Darlin Rojo-Wisar and Miranda Chappelle-Farley. Darlin M. Rojo-Wisar, PhD, MPH, is a psychiatric epidemiologist in childhood stress Trauma and Resiliency T32 Postdoctoral Research Fellow at the Warren Alpert Medical School of Brown University. Her research interests involve mechanistic studies examining effects of early life exposures on sleep and health across the lifespan, the role of sleep in the development and exacerbation of health issues in individuals with early life adversity, and translational research focused on improving sleep and health in the context of early life adversity. She has been a member of the Sleep Research Society for about eight years, is in her fourth year on the Trainee Education Advisory Committee, and is currently the trainee member at large on the Board of Directors. Miranda Chappelle-Farley is a PhD candidate in the Department of Neurobiology and Behavior at the University of California, Irvine. Prior to starting graduate school, she was a post Research Fellow at the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke at the NIH. She received her Bachelor's of Science from the University of Massachusetts in Amherst in 2017. 
Miranda's research focuses on the mechanistic role of sleep and other lifestyle factors in brain dynamics and memory function across adulthood. She currently serves as the Sleep Research Society trainee member-at-large elect. And now for the interview portion for today's episode. Darlene and Miranda, thank you both very much for taking time out of your schedule to digitally sit down with me, um, especially during this time of year when we seem to all be scrambling to close out our professional projects and responsibilities as the holidays approach. Um, so thank you both very much. It's always a pleasure to see you. Um, it's a pleasure to be with you more than see you, but the digital modality will work uh, for today. We'll start with this. Darlin, how are you doing? Thank you for having us, Jesse. I am doing great and excited to be here. Fantastic. It's a pleasure to have you, Darlin. And Miranda, how about yourself? Doing great. Thanks for having us on your podcast. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm excited for this episode. Uh, as I prepped or primed, uh, provided an orientation to the listeners on what today's episode is, it's not our traditional episodes, right? Um, we have developed an approach where we are generally reviewing recently published scientists, scientific manuscripts in sleep or sleep advances um, or position statements, things like that. But today we're going to we're going to go in a different direction. We're going to uh, pull back the sheets, if you will, on the SRS. Um, we're going to look underneath the hood at a specific position known as the training member at large, uh, which the two of you currently in some ways serve as. Uh, Darlene, the current training member at large, and Miranda, the incumbent, uh, the elect, if you will. Um, so we'll talk more about that in detail later on. And I did give the listeners a short introduction to your backgrounds and orientation and overview. Thank you so much for those biographies. Always very helpful instead of me cobbling together things on the internet. But as is the case, if we're going to have some fun, we need to tell our stories on how we got to this point in sleep and circadian research. So um, since we started with Darlene initially, we'll start with Miranda this time around. Miranda, would you please tell the listeners about your journey to this point in sleep and circadian research? Yeah, I started in sleep research when I was an undergrad at UMass Amherst. I was really interested in examining memory first and then began to look at memory through the lens of sleep. And then I sort of fell in love with the sleep field and have continued uh, researching it ever since. Outstanding. And uh, it's been a pleasure to get to formulate a collegial relationship with you uh, personally and professionally as we both kind of navigated our journeys as trainees. Uh, and similarly, I must say the same, Darlene, as you tell your story, I'm sure there will be some overlap with my own story. But um, instead of me just telling the story for you, Darlene, why don't you share your story to this point in sleep and circadian research? Yeah, so um, Jesse and I both started in sleep around the same time as undergraduates at the University of Arizona. I was initially interested in studying the effects of early life adversity on health and development. And as I was looking to gain research experience, the sleep research lab, um, Dr. Richard Bootson's sleep research lab, is the one who had openings for research assistants. And soon thereafter, I learned that the effects of sleep disruption on health were the same as those associated with early life adversity. And at the time, nobody was really studying um, early life adversity, sleep, and health altogether. And so that really became my area of interest, and it took off from there. Indeed, it took off. And I have been really impressed watching your growth uh, and kind of seeing you establish yourself and acquire these preeminent positions. And most importantly, I think, finish your PhD. Uh, congratulations on that, Dr. Darlin. But I saw in your bio that you are now described as a psychiatric epidemiologist. Uh, and I know what those words mean individually. I'm not sure entirely what they mean together. What What is a psychiatric epidemiologist? Yeah, Jesse, that's a great question. So I attended the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health for 
my PhD. And that is the only school of public health that has a mental health department. And there we learn a lot of biostatistics, epidemiologic methods, and we learn about mental health from several different lenses. We learn about mental health from the psychiatry viewpoint, public health, and psychology. And we learn about intervening on and studying psychiatric disorders from a public health perspective. That's our primary focus. So um, essentially what you know about epidemiologists, it's the same thing for us, except we specifically focus on psychiatric disorders. Groovy. And that's a perfect fit for you from my understanding of kind of your journey, your interests and the intersection of everything. So I'm elated to see that you found yourself in a vocation that you are extremely passionate about. And, you know, Miranda, although we're not as cool as Darlin yet, I think one day you and I will each have the P, the H, the D initials after our name. Uh, they'll let us out of our graduate programs and we'll be unleashed on the workforce at some point. Um, but for now, we're still the lowly graduate students of the world. Um, Darlin, when you're not advancing the frontier of sleep and circadian research or psychiatric research as well in this kind of intimate bi-directional connection between all of it. Uh, what do you like to do with your spare time? Yeah, so I feel like it can be kind of challenging to transition from um, the end of your PhD, defending your dissertation, and then becoming a postdoc. You're kind of in this weird in-between phase where you're doing some things that are similar to what you did before, some new things, and you're figuring out what your next step is going to be. And so a big part of that for me has been trying to rediscover what my schedule actually is and finding that outside of work life. Um, and I think that that's something that everyone experiences. Uh, things that I like to do are garden, hike, kind of explore new little cities around Rhode Island and Massachusetts. Um, since I am now in Providence, Rhode Island for my postdoc. Um, so yeah, just kind of getting out and being in nature as much as I can. Sweet. A common theme here among us scientists. We like the nature. Uh, it's almost like we should all have like a summer trip together, uh, two weeks in nature or something. Miranda, I'm sure you'd be on board with that. But why don't you educate the listeners on what you like to do with your spare time when you're not advancing the frontier of sleep and circadian research? Yeah, it sounds like we all have a lot in common. Uh, I, too, enjoy being in the nature uh, whenever I have some spare time. It's pretty much anything that will get me out in the California sunshine, whether that's a run, a hike, um, anything outdoorsy, really. And I recently started throwing pottery. So that's been fun, too. Outstanding. Uh, well, I'm going to need some new furnishings for my home. Uh, potentially a vase, a flower pot, whatever it may be, I'll, I'll accept. Uh, maybe John, my cat, needs a new new bowl uh, for his food. So, you know, I'm employing you uh, without, without compensation. Uh, but uh, we have developed our careers in sleep and circadian research. However, we didn't have to do this. Miranda, if you were not a sleep and circadian researcher, you only get one, one choice here. What would you choose as your career? Hmm. This is a difficult question because I would definitely want a career where I am still learning and seeing new things every day. But because I like the outside so much, it would probably be maybe something with like the National Park Service or maybe like a hiking guide. Um Something where I can kind of move my body and be active, but also meet people and use my mind too. I love it. And Darlene, what would you be doing? For me, um, one of the things I thought about a lot was actually being a special agent for the FBI. Um, I think that particularly I would be interested in like data analysis and problem solving. I feel like a, a lot of the skills that we have as researchers would translate very well to um, detective work, if you will. Um, so 
again, problem solving, critical thinking skills, and being able to use data, uh, I think would be really cool in that way, particularly. I also agree that would be really cool. Now, my radar just went off a little bit, and I'm now suspicious that you may already be an FBI agent uh, undercover as a sleep and circadian researcher or a psychiatric epidemiologist, but I'll just let that one lay there for now. Um, We've built a nice foundation here with our casual fun introductions, and I think it's time to transition to my favorite segment, That's not true. I like all the segments. One of my favorite segments, which is the keyword association. Uh, And today, listeners, it's going to be a little bit different since we're not focusing on a manuscript per se or a singular topic. Uh, But we're really just kind of, again, uh, pulling back the covers, if you will, on the Sleep Research Society. So what I felt was useful here was to use the keyword association as a means to orient everyone to the various committees that SRS members volunteer to be on that help construct, uh, develop, and execute many of the initiatives and day-to-day operations that underlie the SRS. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass the microphone back and forth between Darlene and Miranda, and we'll see if this works. I don't know if it's going to work, but I'm optimistic. And I'm going to say a committee name, and then Whoever's turn it is to speak is going to say the first thing that comes to their mind. And then from there, I will actually provide a description of the committee that's available on the SRS website as well. So, Darlene, Miranda, are we ready for today's keyword association that has an SRS committee spin to it? Ready. Let's go. I love the enthusiasm. All right, Darlene, conflict of interest. Scary. The description on the SRS website for the Conflict of Interest Committee. The Conflict of Interest Committee's mandate is to assist the Board of Directors with the annual review of the SRS's Conflict of Interest policies and implementation of the Conflict of Interest policy. The committee serves as a panel to review potential conflicts of interest and make final determinations about resolution of potential conflicts. To my knowledge, this is a new committee. I could be wrong, and I apologize on that front if I am wrong. But I think this is a new committee, and thus, we need volunteers. So this is a shameless plug to go out and volunteer for the Conflict of Interest Committee. Now, Miranda, when I say the word membership, what comes to mind? Community. Nice. The membership committee will determine benefits the SRS provides to allow maximum membership values all the while increasing membership revenue. The committee will find methods to recognize members' contributions and excellence while implementing novel strategies to engage the non-member sleep research community. Thank you, Dr. Jared Saladin, current chair, as well as all other members of the membership committee. Now, Darlin, pipeline. Critical. I like it. The pipeline development committee will work to increase trainee selectivity target training activities at appropriate levels, improve metrics to measure success of training programs, develop cross-lab training opportunities, including global opportunities, and facilitate junior-senior networking and mentoring. I'd like to thank Dr. Jennifer Goldschmied, current chair, as well as other members of the Pipeline Committee. Now, Miranda, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Necessary. Absolutely. The goal of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee is to broaden the perspectives and impact of sleep and circadian science. To that end, the committee will assess the SRS membership and leadership and recommend strategies to improve diversity, equity, and inclusion within the SRS's leadership and and membership. The committee will identify barriers that may deter sleep circadian researchers from underrepresented groups from becoming and remaining SRS members and continuing to contribute to the field in an academic or research environment of inclusive excellence. The committee will develop and implement initiatives to improve our recruitment and retention of members who would contribute to diversity, equity, and inclusivity in the sleep and circadian science field. Thank you, Dr. Sanja Patel, current chair, as well as other members of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. Now, Darlene, scientific offerings. Multidisciplinary. Wrong answer. The correct answer is 
to develop an SRS-only meeting in the off-year from the Gordon Conference, provide feedback to the program committee and board and board about the SRS component of the APSS meeting, including identifying hot topics. I'd like to thank Dr. Jamie Zeitzer, current chair, as well as all other members of the Scientific Offerings Committee. Miranda, similar spin, scientific review. Recommendations. Also the wrong answer. You two are bad at this. The Scientific Review Committee will make recommendations to the board of directors regarding the society's award programs, oversee the full award process from implementation to evaluation of the early stage investigators award program, including the scoring of applications to the society's award programs. The committee abides by current NIH COI recommendations in all review matters. Thank you, Dr. Mark Zielinski, current chair, as well as other members of the scientific review committee. Uh, Now we'll go back to Darlin. Communications. Dissemination. I'll give you a partial credit for that one. Uh, But shout out to the communications committee, the committee that I am on that oversees the SRS podcast. Uh, Thank you all. You've been very helpful. The support, the guidance, the kindness. Thank you. But the communications committee shall determine optimal communication strategies and tools, facilitate media outreach, and give members a greater sense of ownership in the society. The committee will implement novel strategies to engage the non-member sleep research community. Thank you, Dr. Rebecca Robbins, current chair, as well as all other members of the communications committee. And last one here for you, Miranda, and this will tie in nicely to our next topic of focus, our main topic today, trainee education advisory. Us. Indeed, you got a correct answer. Um, Well, not me anymore, but the two of you. Uh, The Trainee Education Advisory Committee, otherwise known as TIAC, implements career development activities at the annual sleep meeting. I'd like to thank Dr. Sabra Abbott, current chair, as well as other members of the Trainee Education Advisory Committee. All right. So why do we end with the Trainee Education Advisory Committee? Well, as Miranda pointed out, that is them, formerly me. Uh, When I was training member at large as the elect, even on the subcommittee prior, um, and as the training member at large, what was that, 2020 to 2021, I was a part of the Training Education Advisory Committee. And today we're going to be focusing on this this thing called the training member at large. Uh, And I imagine, Darla and Miranda, that the vast majority of our listeners probably have never heard of the title training member at large or at least have never heard of the title in the context of the Sleep Research Society. So, Darlene, as the current training member at large, can you please kick off our discussion by answering this question? What is the SRS training member at large? Yeah, so as the training member at large, you are on the Training Education Advisory Committee, and they plan all of the programming, as Jesse said, for trainees at the Sleep Conference and throughout the year. Um, An extra component is that you are a non-voting member on the board of directors. And that is a really exciting position because you get to be there um, in the weeds hearing all of the nitty gritty details of how the Sleep Research Society is operating, what the important priorities are, essentially every aspect that you can think of of how the society is run. And though you aren't a voting member of the board, you still get to make your own opinions known and you get to kind of be an advocate for trainees um, in the society. And it's a really great opportunity for networking as well. So this year, two of those um, board of directors meetings have been in person at the national office in Illinois. And that's a really great opportunity to go see the national office and to meet with board members in person. Again, networking. The rest of the meetings will be virtual, but then we'll meet again in person at the sleep conference. It's a perfect overview to uh, get us started here. And sometimes you get to go to the national office when you're the training member at large. I had the privilege of serving as training member at large during the COVID period when we did not have in-person a board of directors meeting. So the room I'm operating from right now, 
that was the location that I got to do the meetings. However, I still maintain that they were extremely enriching and valuable. Early on, I was I, I was completely naive of what kind of the inner workings of a professional organization were. And as Darlin pointed out, to not just be a fly on the wall, but a participant in those meetings um, really gives a good understanding, advances your knowledge of kind of the financial factors that go into running a professional organization and that have to be considered and, and attended to and, and all these other logistics that I had no insight into. Uh, so an extremely valuable and enriching experience there. And um, the term itself is a year long. So as the training member at large, Darlin's current position, um, that is technically a year. However, Miranda currently operates as the training member at large at LECT. Um, so I kind of see it as like a one to two kind of year term, if you will. Uh, it technically is two years because you have to serve as the elect before the training member at large. But we'll talk about that a little bit more coming up. We've talked a little bit already broadly, or we've touched upon some of the roles and responsibilities. We've tossed out the sleep conference and uh, serving as a liaison to the board and planning training events. Um, Miranda, do you think there's anything else as far as kind of roles and responsibilities of the training member at large that uh, we should educate the listeners on? Yeah, I mean, I think Darlin did a great job of providing an overview of the different responsibilities that are linked to the training member at large position. I think one important thing to highlight is that you really have the opportunity to serve as a voice for the trainees in the SRS. So not only do you get to share your opinions on the various matters that the society is discussing, you get to also bring to the table the voices of all of the other trainees in the SRS. So you get to be representative of not only yourself, but also everyone else too. Now, how does one actually become the trainee member at large? Um, Darlene, can you give us some insight into how that process happens? Yes, and this is a very timely question because today during our TIAC committee meeting, we established that we will be releasing the application cycle for this upcoming year um, very shortly. Um, essentially, an announcement goes out by email to Sleep Research Society members that you should apply. And the criteria are pretty straightforward. You have to submit a cover letter, your CV, and there is an optional um, letter of recommendation. Perfect. So keep a lookout for that email. Um, and I believe, generally speaking, too, there'll be a, a post or a page on the SRS website that has information similarly as far as call for applications and even probably an application button, if you will. Uh, so if you missed the email or lands an email abyss or accidentally deleted, and you're interested in this position or learning more, uh, you can always reach out to the uh, great and powerful Caitlin Willis, our SRS coordinator, or you can go to the SRS website. I would steer you to the SRS website first because Caitlin's got a lot on her plate. Uh, so we'll start with the website and then go to Caitlin as needed. Um, and not everyone can apply though. So Miranda, what sort of prerequisites, who is eligible to apply as a training member at large? So you have to have previously attended the trainee symposia series as part of the sleep conference and uh, previously participated in the TIAC trainee subcommittee. So I don't know if we've really detailed what the subcommittee is yet, but this is effectively a committee led by uh, TIAC and the trainee member at large that helps to construct the uh, symposia that are presented during the trainee symposia series at the sleep conference. So you must have participated in the TIAC trainee subcommittee, and you also must have possessed a trainee status for at least two or more years. And this includes the uh, year as incumbent and year as trainee member at large elect. Perfect. And major shout out to all the people, uh, all three of us here, but the many others uh, who have served as subcommittee members and have collected all those cards at the doors at the Trainee Symposia series and done the introductions. There's a lot of work that goes into that, whether it's prepping intros or whatever it may be for the guest speakers, just the administrative side. And, um, you know, I, I 
think we do a good enough job, a sufficient job of thanking those individuals for their efforts and their service. But uh, this is just me explicitly doing again to all those out there who have ever been on the TX subcommittee. Thank you. Um, so that's step one, right, is, is one, attending a training symposia series, but then getting on the TX subcommittee. You can't make the leap to training member at large without participating on the subcommittee. I think the purpose of that is really just to see the inner workings of the committee itself uh, or committees in general and TX specifically and getting some insight into what the elect and the current training member at large would actually be doing in a day-to-day or week-to-week basis. And we'll stay with Miranda on this one. Um, since you are, you know, the elect, you are the most recently elected training member at large. Congratulations to you on that front. Um, what happens when you are selected? So you serve as one year on TIAC as the incumbent. And while a lot of what I'm doing is shadowing Darlin and sort of learning the inner workings of uh, TIAC and the SRS, you do... Uh, you are able to have an impact on uh, the the different initiatives across the year. Um, I'm able to sort of vocalize my opinions on the different things we have planned. Um, so you're not just a passive uh, member of TIAC. You, you can actually give your input and it's usually pretty well received. Well said. And I will uh, give a shout out to the training member at large, or who to Jesse Deach, who was the training member at large when I was the elect. Uh, Matt, shout out to Jesse. We shared the Jesse's uh, training member at large overlap. Um, but Dr. Deach was extremely helpful in kind of priming me on all the inner workings. And as Miranda pointed out, you know, early on, I didn't know what I was doing. So I kind of took a back seat. But then once I got more comfortable in a couple months of meetings at TAC and so on, then I started to speak up more and I found that I could even in my electoral, um, have some influence, whether that be on the content or the types of pres- or the presenters we ha- invite for the training symposia series, the social event, whatever it may be, uh, your voice is still heard during the elect year. And that's really important. You don't get to go to those fancy dinners with the board of directors the year after you will, but during the TAC meetings, you still get to have your input. So that's outstanding. And we've touched, you know, peripherally on some of the benefits why somebody would want to hold this position. Um, but I think it's still helpful to, to flesh that out a little bit more. And Darlene, over your time, you know, you've got another six months or so in this role. What sort of benefits have you experienced thus far? Um, what have you really gleaned from this experience? I think that one of the things that I've really gotten from the experience is realizing how important every single one of us is in contributing to the Sleep Research Society's mission as a whole and to the sleep and circadian science field as a whole. And I think that the ability to contribute my voice and the voice of trainees to discussions on critical areas that the society is focusing on is very um, impactful and a privilege, I would say. Lastly, I just wanna say that getting to network with the other board members is probably one of my favorite parts as well. Yeah, I gotta echo that both of those themes. the ability to contribute and feel that you're an impactful member in the community, not just in the sleep and circadian community, but like research at large as a whole is, is just immensely warming and fulfilling. Fulfilling is the right word. Um, but yeah, the, the networking aspect, the ability to establish relationships with these big fish, if you will, where you're no longer scared of them as you see them at conferences, but you're able to go up and like, wave across the hall or refer to them by their first name. Um, it's it's surreal how that transition happens, but it's immensely valuable and this role provides that seamlessly. Um, Miranda, has there been anything thus far that you've seen or like what attracted you to this position? I think, I mean, all of the opportunities that you 
both have outlined were absolutely part of the draw for me too. I think it's also really cool to be able to bring an idea to the table to these prominent individuals. And if people are on board, you get to see that idea come to fruition too. And I think it's just a very rewarding position to be in as well as, like Darlene said, and you, Jesse, an, an absolute privilege. Well said. And I think this is an opportune time to just draw attention to the fact that this podcast was a pitch to the board of directors when I was training member at large. Uh, So these are the types of things that can emerge from the participation as a trainee. At the same time, too, I also, I don't know if you two have these, but there's the Sleep Research Society masks um, that we sent out, created during the COVID period. And that was something that in the November meeting, I just brought up like, hey, have we thought about masks? And then it became a thing. So these are just ways to like leave your mark, if you will. Um, and it could be as subtle as a mask or it could be as large as an SRS podcast or beyond that. There's a lot of different ways. Um, the opportunity is endless, it seems. But yeah, and of course, there's the notion, the the ego side of it. There is a visibility aspect to it that can help with your career development, your trajectory. And also, it's a great CV and resume builder. Those are my, I have to draw attention to those plugs for those out there who may be interested in these roles. Those are not the main reasons you want to do this, but they are added benefits at the same time. And we've talked, we've danced around these ideas already, or we've thrown the words out. It seems like the main meat and potatoes, quinoa and berries, however you want to spin it, uh, the responsibilities, the actions that the training member at large and TIAC as well are focused on are trainee events specifically at the sleep conference. Uh, so I want to spend some time here in this podcast just to provide an overview of, of what sort of trainee events are planned by TIAC and the training member at large. Um, and maybe we'll review one of these one by one. And perhaps there may be some teasers or spoilers or hints as to what might be in the inner workings for this year. I know those things are under wraps a lot of times and not always fully polished at this time of year. But generally speaking, it's often... Um, the time of year when reaching out to try and potentially establish a schedule for the training symposia series. So we'll see if there's anything that our current training member at large and training member at large elect can, can spoil. But for now, um, let's review these events. Darlene, what is the training symposia series? The training symposia series is a set of talks that are specifically for training members to attend at the sleep conference. And those topics are actually chosen by the subcommittee that we just spoke about earlier, in addition to the trainee member at large and trainee member at large elect. Awesome. And I honestly think it's the coolest thing about the sleep conference. Uh, It's been my favorite thing since my first sleep conference back in Minneapolis. What was that? 2014, I think. Um, I've gone every year since uh, in person or digital And it is so immensely just awesome, for lack of a better term. Like when you're at a giant conference like Sleep, you don't have the opportunity to go up to these presenters and establish conversations with them when it's a multi-hundred person hall. But in the training symposia series, these rooms are often limited to about 40 to 60 people. You have a much more personal, intimate connection with these researchers. Uh, And so I love that the SRS provides this. Uh, And there's other ways that they kind of networking is emphasized during the sleep conference. Uh, So Miranda, what is the training network development suite? The training networking development suite uh, is usually a room or a couple of rooms where we will have different networking and professional development events. I remember I went to one last year where I got to learn about uh, different career transitions and speak with Uh, new PIs or established PIs about uh, their career trajectories. And this was in a small group of maybe 10 to 15 people. So you really do get to have those personal connections with uh, the individuals that are there. And you get to meet a bunch of the other trainees in the SRS as well. Beautiful. And there's free food Uh, and generally free coffee and muffins and tea and all that type of stuff as well. And, uh, What's nice is I think TIAC is really, really conscientious about kind of 
alternating between topics each year. So it's not the same kind of TNDS rotation, if you will. And I think they do a phenomenal job similarly in that vein with the Training Symposia series where there's always this effort to try and cover all of the kind of domains that fall under the sleep and circadian research umbrella from basic, translational, clinic, all these types of things. I feel like uh, TIAC and the Training Memorials do a great job planning a robust amalgamation of researchers and presentation topics. And I just think it's amazing that those things are brought every single year for trainees as part of the sleep conference. Um, And Darlene, you mentioned something about a leadership workshop. What do you want to say about a leadership workshop? Yeah. So again, we had our TIAC committee meeting today. And one of the things that we are going to be offering at the sleep conference this upcoming year is a leadership development workshop. And we got to see a little sneak peek of what that will look like. And I highly recommend checking it out once we get the announcements out about that. There will also be some exciting changes to the career fair, which will be more expanded this year to incorporate careers outside of academia and to be more interactive and fun. Sweet. Uh, Well, that goes into my not next question, but next, next question about kind of new workings for this year or other things to highlight and tease. Uh, So I I appreciate you steering us there. Before I jump into that even deeper, I'll pass it back to Miranda for this one. Uh, Each year we have something known as the trainee social event. And it's taken on many forms, whether it's been like a kickball game into meeting at a local restaurant or whatever it may be. We've done trivia. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about like what the trainee social events purpose is and and what we might be anticipating for this year? Well, I'll keep the this year plans to myself for now. I think Darlene and I are still working through what that may look like. Um, But the purpose of the social event is really just to get SRS trainees together to get you meeting people. So you go to the sleep conference and you can see some familiar faces. You can get some networking in too. Um, It's really just a nice space to go and meet folks, especially if you're coming to the sleep conference for the first time. Now, I am just not entirely certain why the two of you are being so coy. Don't you understand? We're on a public dissemination podcast. Our job is to have clickbaity takes. Uh, no, just kidding. I completely understand where things are coming from. Well, we might, you know, I'm seeing, I'm seeing some change in faces here. Are we sure we can't share a little bit more on the trainee social event at all? What, what sort of things? Can you give us a little bit of, of a teaser? We will be having a trainee social event this year, and you won't believe what it is. All right, fine. This is no fun. Uh, No, I kid. Uh, I'm sure it'll be fantastic. The two of you do a great job. Last year was a great time having dinner and sharing stories with other trainees. I really appreciated that. And I look forward to our ultra marathon this year, Miranda, um, that you need to plan for our trainee social event. But we're going to close down the door on the training member at large discussion by kind of probing just to see Darlene already alluded to some of the new kind of inner workings, things to expect upcoming at the sleep conference, but what other kind of workings are new this year? Or is there anything else you want to highlight Darlene? I can give away what two of our workshops will be for the trainee symposia series. So one will be a super hot topic right now, consumer sleep technology, benefits, drawbacks, and open questions. And then another will be sleep as a social justice issue, partnering with communities to address sleep health disparities. I love it. Those are two topics at the forefront of kind of our field right now. Uh, So applaud you for making these primary focuses of the upcoming Uh, trainee events and things that are happening at APSS. Now, to close down the actual episode, or at least the interview portion of today's episode, I really want to thank both uh, Dr. Darlene Rojo-Wisar and Miranda Chappelle-Farley, Darlene being the SRS's current training member at large, and Miranda being the SRS's training member at large elect, or the incumbent, uh, for providing their time to one, be guests on the first, well, 
I'll probably butcher the name again. Uh, pulling back the covers of the SRS, I think is what we're landing on with these terms. The first of these variations of the SRS podcast, but more so to discuss all of the inner workings of the training member at large and the logistics and everything that a training member at large is, how to become one, all of it. So thank you for that. But before I let you go, I have a final question that I want each of you to answer. And we'll start with Darlene, and then we'll pass it over to Miranda. And every guest gets this question. So Darlene, if you were afforded unlimited funding to explore a singular sleep and or circadian research topic, then what would you investigate? I would investigate the most effective sleep interventions for children in foster care. Love it. Let's get that grant funding for you. And Miranda, if you were afforded unlimited funding to explore a singular sleep and or circadian research topic, then what would you investigate? I would conduct a crazy long longitudinal study evaluating sleep and other lifestyle factors across the lifespan so we can find more targeted interventions and treatments for Alzheimer's disease. I'm in. Let's do it. We'll get parental consent so we can start at birth. And we'll fall longitudinally until death. We can do this. That doesn't sound that challenging. What could go wrong? Anyways, again, really appreciate both of you taking time out of your days to digitally talk with me. It's always a pleasure. I could talk with both of you for hours. Uh, I hope the listeners appreciated this conversation. I know it was a bit of a deviation from what we normally do, but I think it is really helpful to see what is actually happening uh, underneath kind of the big label that is the Sleep Research Society. And we're starting to you know, pull back the covers a little bit with this episode. Uh, so thank you both so much for, for finding time to sit down with me. I really look forward to seeing what the schedule looks like for the Trainee Symposia series this year and all the other events at um, APSS. Uh, I think those two topics uh, that Darlin talked about, those talks, those sessions will be awesome and I will certainly attend. Uh, so thank you for the efforts on that front to bring that to us. And again, thank you so much. Uh, I'll put kind of your Twitter handles, social media plugs in our show notes so that if the listeners want to follow up further on training member at large stuff or anything else, uh, getting involved with Miranda's longitudinal design, um, then they can reach out to you there. Before we go, do you have any last words for the listeners? I just want to say, please be as involved as you can because you'll get a lot out of it. So volunteer for committees, volunteer for the subcommittee, and we would love to have you. Outstanding. Anything else, Miranda, or are we good to close this down? Absolutely agree with Darlin. Thanks for having us, Jesse. My pleasure. Keep a lookout for that email. Uh, if you're a trainee and you've been on the subcommittee and you have uh, want to be a trainee member at large or you've attended a trainee symposium this year as well, look out for that email. That's a call for applications. We need trainee member at larges. So apply, apply, apply. And if you haven't been on the TAC subcommittee, apply for that. Uh, true pleasure, both of you. Take care. And have a wonderful holiday season. Now, listeners, let's transition from our guest interview to a segment overviewing upcoming SRS events and opportunities. We'll call it On the Radar. I'll be providing a brief overview on the Advances in Sleep and Circadian Science Conference scheduled for February 2023, the Mentor-Mentee Program, and the Virtual Seminar Series. The Advances in Sleep and Circadian Science Conference, or ASCS, is being held at the Sheridan Sand Key Resort in Clearwater Beach, Florida, from February 17th through the 20th in 2023. This single-track conference will include sessions which contain extensive cutting-edge research discussions that bridges sleep and circadian science. This event will provide abundant networking opportunities from trainees to established researchers. Follow the link in the show notes for more information as well as registration. The goal of the SRS Mentor-Mentee Award is to link trainees with limited sleep or circadian mentoring options in their chosen field of interest to mentors that can provide rich, face-to-face -face opportunities in state-of-the-art research techniques and methods. The duration of the award is one year with a minimum of one week on-site with mentor and expect it to continue via phone or video contact at least monthly. Follow the link in the show notes for more information on how to get involved as either a mentor or mentee. As a trainee, I must say that this is an awesome initiative. 
The Virtual Seminar Series is a resource to support career development by providing opportunities for trainees and early career investigators to deliver professional talks to an audience of peers and colleagues through online seminars. Our goal is to provide a resource for Sleep Research Society members at all levels of training to get continued exposure to new and exciting sleep and circadian research methods and findings. Seminars are generally delivered at a monthly frequency and in a digital format, with archival seminars available on the webpage accessible through the link in the show notes. Furthermore, this webpage will provide more information on getting involved as a presenter. And of course, make sure to register for the Associated Professional Sleep Societies, otherwise known as APSS, conference set to occur in Indianapolis in June. As a teaser, this podcast aims to showcase research presented at APSS, but you'll have to be there for eligibility to have your research included in our APSS episode. All right, listeners, and now we will transition to our recognition, or rather, celebration of the top five most downloaded manuscripts in 2022 from both sleep and sleep advances. To build suspense, I'm going to go in reverse order and alternate between the journals. So without further ado, let's start the countdown to number one. The fifth most downloaded manuscript from Sleep Advances in 2022 goes to Blankenship and colleagues who published impairments in glycemic control during eastbound transatlantic travel in healthy adults in April 2022, with this manuscript garnering 741 downloads. Importantly, this manuscript served as the focus for the Sleep Research Society podcast, episode number three, when Dr. Josiane Broussard came on to unpack the investigation. So, for those interested in more about this manuscript, then I not only steer you to the manuscript linked included in the show notes, but also to the previously released episode. For the sake of today, the authors found that eastbound transatlantic travel induced a progressive worsening of glucose metrics during 24-hour, day, and night periods. Shifting to the sleep journal, the fifth most downloaded manuscript for this journal in 2022 goes to Von P. and colleagues who published a multicentric validation study of a novel home sleep apnea test based on peripheral arterial tonometry in May 2022, with this manuscript garnering 2,504 downloads. This paper reported on a multitude of robust endpoint parameters, in particular, OSA severity, categorization, accuracies, while also benchmarking clinical performances against double-scored PSG. This study demonstrated strong agreement of peripheral arterial tonometry, or PAT, home sleep apnea testing with PSG. The results of the study also suggest that different brands of PAT home sleep apnea tests may have distinct clinical performance characteristics. The fourth most downloaded manuscript from Sleep Advances in 2022 goes to Wong and colleagues who published Sleep Regularity and Body Mass Index, findings from a prospective study of first-year college students in April 2022, with this manuscript garnering 765 downloads. The authors concluded that sleep regularity is an understudied but relevant sleep dimension associated with BMI during young adulthood. The findings warrant future work to examine longer-term associations between sleep regularity and weight gain. The fourth most downloaded manuscript from Sleep in 2022 goes to Kono and colleagues who published Swallowing and Aspiration During Sleep in Patients with Obstructive Sleep Apnea versus Control Individuals in April 2022, with this manuscript garnering 2,574 downloads. The authors concluded that the data provide new insights into the relationship between swallowing and aspiration during sleep. They found that the longer the distance from the hyoid bone to the Frankfurt plane, the higher the coactivation without submental and masseter muscles and declining oronasal airflow, which could lead to aspiration during sleep. 
The third most downloaded manuscript from Sleep Advances in 2022 goes to Lang and colleagues who published low-intensity scheduled morning exercise for adolescents with a late chronotype, a novel treatment to advanced circadian phase, in June 2022, with this manuscript garnering 933 downloads. The authors concluded that these findings highlight the phase-advancing effect of low-intensity morning exercise among this population. Future studies are needed to test the transference of these laboratory findings to adolescents' real life. The third most downloaded manuscript from Sleep in 2022 goes to Walsh and colleagues who published Good Perceived Sleep Quality Protects Against the Raised Risk of Respiratory Infection During Sleep Restriction in Young Adults in September 2022, with this manuscript garnering 2,833 downloads. The authors concluded that Good Perceived Sleep Quality was associated with protection against the raised risk of respiratory infection during sleep restriction. Studies should determine whether improvements in sleep quality arising from behavioral sleep interventions translate to reduced respiratory infection during sleep restriction. The second most downloaded manuscript from Sleep Advances in 2022 goes to Lair and colleagues who published Comparing Polysomnography, Actigraphy, and Sleep Diary in the Home Environment. The study of women's health across the nation, sleep study in February 2022, with this manuscript garnering 1,136 downloads. The authors concluded that given the concordance with PSG, actigraphy may be preferred as an alternative to PSG for measuring sleep in the home. Future research should consider racial and ethnic differences in diary reported sleep continuity. The second most downloaded manuscript from Sleep in 2022 goes to Allison Harvey, who published Treating Sleep and Circadian Problems to Promote Mental Health, Perspectives on Comorbidity, Implementation Science and Behavior Change, in January 2022, with this manuscript garnering 3,445 downloads. This paper overviews three major challenges that need to be addressed to enhance the treatment of sleep and circadian problems with specific attention to the relations and influence on mental health. A transdiagnostic intervention approach is presented as an alternative approach to traditional evidence-based treatment. Ultimately, Dr. Harvey highlights the potential to harness the science of behavior change to encourage widespread engagement in sleep health behavior and thereby reduce the staggering burden of sleep and circadian problems and the associated mental health problems. And now, the moment we've all been waiting for. Adrenaline coursing through the veins as anticipation builds for the unveiling of the number one most downloaded manuscript in 2022 from Sleep and Sleep Advances. Here we go. The number one, again, the number one most downloaded manuscript from Sleep Advances in 2022 goes to Illingworth and colleagues who published Sleep in the Time of COVID-19 Findings from 17,000 school-aged children and adolescents in the UK during the first national lockdown in January 2022, with this manuscript garnering 1,712 downloads. The authors concluded that during COVID-19 restrictions, sleep patterns consistent with adolescent delayed sleep phase were observed, with longer sleep times for secondary school students in particular. Perceived deteriorations in sleep quality were associated with reductions in happiness and interpersonal functioning, highlighting the importance of including sleep measures in adolescent well-being research. And the number one most downloaded manuscript from Sleep in 2022 goes to Mattingly and colleagues who published Snoozing, an examination of a common method of waking in October 2022, with this manuscript garnering a whopping 4,200 downloads. The authors concluded that snoozing is a common behavior associated with changes in sleep physiology before waking, both in a trait and state-dependent manner, and is influenced by demographic and behavioral traits. Additional research is needed, especially in detailing the physiology of snoozing, its impact on health, and its interactions with observational studies of sleep. And with that, we close down our review of the top five most downloaded manuscripts in 2022 from Sleep and Sleep Advances. To the listeners, 
perhaps your research will be included on the list when we recount 2023 a year from now. The first step is submitting your research to Sleep or Sleep Advances. Talk about a shameless plug. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to this inaugural episode of Pulling Back the Covers. And before I turn it over to our stock outro, I must again wish all of you the best start to 2023 possible. Cheers. And that concludes this episode of the Sleep Research Society podcast. Thank you very much for listening. If you have any comments or suggestions for content or ways to enhance the podcast, then please feel free to send an email to sleepresearchsocietypodcast at gmail.com. Again, that is sleepresearchsocietypodcast at gmail.com. Before officially closing down this episode, I would like to directly thank the leadership of the Sleep Research Society, as well as the board of directors for their support of this initiative. Additionally, I'd like to thank the Sleep Research Society Communications Committee for their efforts in the development and maintenance of this podcast. Also, I'd like to acknowledge the other members of the podcast team for their efforts behind the scenes. This includes Katrina Burroughs and Shivani Gianni, who serve as podcast managers, as well as Dr. Mohan Dutt, who produces these episodes. Furthermore, I'd like to thank chronobiologist Dr. Rulof Hutt for graciously providing the podcast intro and outro music. Lastly, I'd like to thank the community of fantastic sleep and circadian researchers that comprise the Sleep Research Society, as well as all other listeners of this podcast. Thank you, and until next time, sleep well.